News, politics, and special guests with a Texas twist. That's the goal of the Luke Messias Show. Our nation and state are at a crossroads, and if you're not informed, you're not equipped to make the change our community needs. Join the conversation and join the cause for liberty today. Welcome to episode 141 of the Luke Messias Show. We are joined today by one of the, uh, I would say, most respected voices in conservative legal circles in the nation, um, and he happens to be located here in Texas. His name is Josh Blackman. He is a professor at the South Texas College of Law, and he's somebody who has been commenting on a whole broad range of conservative legal issues, and the most recent one being the Texas Heartbeat Bill, who had its day in court, um, or which had, I guess it's not who, but which had its day in court just recently, and Josh penned a phenomenal piece um, in Newsweek, which I will link to in the show notes of this podcast. And uh, that's when I reached out to him and asked him to come on and talk about it. I'm not going to go through too many details of the heartbeat bill, um, just because he does, in in our conversation, go through some more details as far as explaining exactly how this is different than previous bills, and then the question before the court. The big issue we tackle is the fact that Justice Barrett and Kavanaugh seem to be very critical of Texas's approach. And it's it's really not just that. They seem to be offended that Texas used law, the law as it stands, to find a way to protect the unborn without giving the Supreme Court the ultimate authority and say-so to come down. Um, and I'll tell you what I most appreciate about the heartbeat bill is that it is forcing Supreme Court justices to pick a side on the issue of life. And it is concerning that right now it it seems indicated that Justice Barrett and Kavanaugh are not going to come down on the right side of that. And that's going to cause a broader discussion. In fact, we touch on this at the very end of our conversation with Josh today, that there was going to be, if if these justices rule against Texas here, there's going to be an identity crisis in the conservative legal movement, and there's going to be some tough questions we have to ask ourselves and answer. One of the reasons why um, I think people like Alan West or Chad Prather or Don Huffines are gaining a lot of traction in their campaigns right now is because they are basically saying that they think Texas should stop just letting the Supreme Court and the federal judiciary and the president of the United States tell us exactly whether we can or can't secure our border, whether we can or can't kill our children or save their lives. And so I think you'll really enjoy the conversation I have with Josh today. I hope you learned something about it. We hopefully will have Josh back on the show um, after the ruling to have a conversation of where we go from here. Uh, Thank you so much for following along, and please consider sharing this with all of your pro-life friends in Texas so they can hear the question before the court and how the court may or may not rule and what kind of concerns we have based on the questions that Barrett and Kavanaugh asked during the hearing. God bless you. Well, joining me today is a uh, conservative legal voice in Texas, Josh Blackman. He is a constitutional professor at the South Texas College of Law. Josh um, is respected by a lot of voices across the nation. One of the things we try to do on this podcast is let you Texans know uh, that we've got voices here in our state, of course, that um, are listened to across the nation. And Josh came on my radar screen in regards to the heartbeat bill when he penned a Newsweek article uh, just talking about Amy Coney Barrett and Brett Kavanaugh's take and the arguments they made, the questions they asked during the heartbeat bill and why that should concern 
a lot of Texans. So I uh, asked him to come on, Josh, I really appreciate you coming on. I know you've got a hard stop, but we're going to take the time that we have with you just to get a little bit um, of your observations. I want you to take that article that you wrote and just kind of synthesize it for some of our listeners. Sure. And it's great to be here today. Um, so it's a very fun time to be a law professor in Texas. It seems every week <laughs> there's some new controversy involving abortion or immigration or yep. election law or something else. There's always something blowing up. I think the most pressing issue right now in Texas concerns SB8, the fetal heartbeat bill. And I'm sure your listeners are familiar with it, but I'll give yep. a brief background. Um, under Supreme Court precedent, it's pretty much impossible to prohibit abortion prior to the point of viability. And depending on who you ask, viability might be 21 weeks, 22 weeks, 23 weeks, 19 weeks. People disagree, but it's somewhere in that range. Um, Texas tried something different. Mm. They enacted law that effectively prohibits abortion at the six-week mark when cardiac activity is first detected. But the law is a little bit different. The state does not enforce the law. Rather, the law is enforced through private litigation. Right. So any Texan can mm -hmm. go to court and sue on it. This law was designed in a very clever way to avoid legal challenges. Usually what Planned Parenthood does is they go to court, they sue the attorney general in Austin, they get an injunction to block the law, and it never goes into effect. This has happened over and over again. With this law, they can't do that because our attorney general has no role in enforcing the law. Mm -hmm. um, it was completely transparent. There was no mystery what they were doing. They were trying to make it harder to stop in court. Yep. Um, so now there are two cases pending before the Supreme Court. One of the cases was brought by Whole Woman's Health, which is an abortion clinic in Texas. And the second case was brought by the Biden Justice Department. Um, there's pros and cons to both cases, but they both rely on a simple premise. The only way to stop this law is to sue not the attorney general, not the governor, mm -hmm. but to sue judges. Hmm. The clinics and the United States have argued that the only way to stop this law is prevent judges from even hearing cases. Yep. Because if judges can't hear these cases, then there could be no, no court orders, right? Um, this is an insane approach to the law, right? Mm -hmm. There's a very old precedent, more than 100 years old, saying you cannot sue judges, right? Judges are presumed to be neutral. Mm -hmm. They're presumed to be fair. And if you give a judge a case that should be thrown out of court, They'll be thrown out of court. Mm. And the judge, let's you know, say the judge makes a mistake, there's an appellate process. Mm -hmm. And even if the entire state court is flawed, there's a Supreme Court review. But yep. the remedy is not to stop the judges. Hmm. The other argument that both the Biden DOJ and the abortion clinics have argued is clerks. Uh, you may not know this, but there's a person called a clerk of court. Mm -hmm. uh, this is a employee who simply accepts papers and says, okay, you file the case with the court. Now they give it to the judge to hear. The plaintiffs have argued that we actually need to sue the clerks and stop the clerks from even accepting this paperwork, um, which is insane because clerks are not adversarial parties. They're simply employees. They stamp paper. They literally, they rubber stamp paper. And these are not the correct people to sue. Um, what I've said so far should not be controversial. But last week, the court heard arguments. And I'll tell you, Justices Barrett and Kavanaugh, the two newest members of the court, seemed willing to bend over backwards mm. to find a way 
to rule in favor of the abortion clinics. And I was, I, I was, I shouldn't say surprised and maybe disappointed is a better word, but they were really pushing hard and trying to modify longstanding law to give the abortion clinics their victory. Josh, one of um, the people I was talking with, actually a, a friend of mine this morning was saying that he sensed that, and I think this hits on something you've said as well, that uh, Barrett and Kavanaugh almost seemed offended that Texas had found a way to address the abortion issue while trying to exclude them. It's almost, and, and tell me what you, kind of your observation here. It's like they, they've taken up Dobbs. So this is the Mississippi case, right? That says 15 weeks, we've got a 15 week ban that they're discussing. And it's almost like, look, we have our timeline of how we want to address this issue. And for Texas to have the arrogance to think that you get to regulate, restrict this procedure apart from us is offensive to that those middle people in the court. Now, you can tell me what you think about that general observation, because I think you wrote in your Newsweek piece about just that idea that um, it seemed like they were defending judicial supremacy more so than the issue. And I think the word you used was really important is that they're in order to do that, you have to bend over backwards on this issue. So do you feel like the court is just offended that Texas tried to kind of take them out of the process or what, you know, didn't trust them to be the ultimate deciders of, of all law? Yeah, I think you framed the question well. So there are two issues here, right? One is abortion and one is Texas being clever. Mm. Um, the justices this year are considering whether to overrule Roe v. Wade. Mm -hmm. Maybe they will, maybe they won't. I don't think they will, but, you know, yep. it's, it's on the docket, so to speak. Yep. And they have their own schedule, their own timeline. And Texas came along and said, okay, Mississippi, hold my beer, right? Yep. Texas came and they poured <laughs> kerosene on that schedule. And they, they, they tossed a match on it saying, okay, we're yep. going to do this right now. So I think one way of looking at it is the justices are kind of annoyed that Texas is trying to get ahead of them. Because if the court overrules Roe, then who cares about SB8, right? Then we'll go back to the old-fashioned way of just the government enforcing abortion laws. Um, but I think the problem goes even deeper. It's not just that the Barrett and Kavanaugh are, are annoyed that their schedule got tossed up. Mm. I think they're annoyed that people are trying to bypass the court's framework in a lawful manner. Mm. Justice Kavanaugh called it a loophole, mm. right? A loophole. No, 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 no. And people say, oh, I have a tax, you know, tax loophole, right? I found a loophole. Yeah. No, it's not a loophole. The law is written that way to permit it, right? If it's mm -hmm. if you're bypassing the law in illegal fashion, you're breaking the law. The law either allows something or it doesn't. There's no loophole. That's like this myth. But why is Kavanaugh calling it a loophole? Because he views the court's decisions as supreme. Mm. And that any effort to sort of challenge that is an affront to the court's own supremacy. Mm. And this, this goes to the notion of judicial supremacy, which is mm -hmm. a concept that I do not accept. And mm -hmm. I thought most conservative judges emphatically reject mm -hmm. um, this notion of judicial supremacy is what got us Roe v. Wade in the first place. The mm -hmm. idea that the courts are the supreme arbiter that can decide for themselves when abortion should be permitted or not. And, and I, I, I hate to say it, but I think Kavanaugh is drinking the Kool-Aid mm -hmm. and Barrett maybe as well. She maybe haven't had a sip from the trough. Um, with, with Barrett's questions, uh, it, it almost seemed like she's also... Uh, putting the judicially created right to an abortion, 
that they have within the precedent of Roe v. Wade on the same level of the enumerated rights of the First Amendment, the Second Amendment. Do you have any insight into that? Should that also kind of be concerning? Because I found that that just some of the line of questioning that she had seemed to imply, uh, and and I thought this went a little different than than their their confirmation hearings. As I and you've probably followed these closer than I did, Josh, but I at least followed them somewhat. Uh, and whenever they're asked about the abortion issue, they talk about Roe v. Wade being precedent. Right. But they don't they did not say during their confirmation hearings, abortion is a fundamental right in the United States. Um, and I and their line of questioning seemed to imply that maybe they do think it is. I, I don't know if you think I'm being uh, too hyperbolic within that you know, interpretation of their line of questioning. Should should we have any concerns on that level? I had the same observation. Um at various points, Justice Barrett seemed to take Roe and Casey as sort of a, as a given that, that this yes. is the law. Yes. Um, now, perhaps she's simply thinking, well, as of you know November of 2021, that yep. is the law because yep. Roe v. Wade's on the books, but yep. wait till June, we'll overrule it. But I, I didn't get the impression because you can sort of hedge your language. You know, Justice yes. Thomas is actually very careful on this. He always says the putative right to abortion or the court recognized mm. right to abortion. He always yep. hedges. Yep. Uh, he always does. He's very careful on this. And, and I didn't hear that from Barrett or Kavanaugh. And, and Look, I mean, for they, our they listeners, decide, yeah, go ahead. For our listeners sake, Josh, I want to kind of, I want you to uh, explain that a little bit more for, for just the layman to understand. So you're basically saying that when, when Thomas speaks about abortion uh, as a right, he describes it as a right basically granted through the courts, but not a right in the law currently. Yes. Can you, can you explain the difference and why, that would be different than the way maybe Barrett talked about it? Well, yeah, I'll explain it very carefully. I will usually never say the right to abortion, period. Mm-hmm. What I will usually say is the right to abortion the court recognized mm-hmm. or the putative or so-called right to abortion. I always try my own language to hedge, mm-hmm. to, to, to express that I don't think this is in the Constitution, but the courts mm-hmm. have said so, and I'm simply repeating what the court said. Thomas does something very similar, Alito mm-hmm. as well. They, they will never say the right to abortion, period where they'll say the right to abortion from Roe or the right to abortion from Casey. And, and, and I didn't hear that sort of nuance from Barrett. She just said, yeah, the right to abortion, period. And, mm-hmm. and that seems to suggest you think that even if it's not a correct interpretation, the constitution is one that she'll maintain. Yep. You know, a lot of, a lot of the Supreme courts are reading tea leaves, right? I mean, these mm-hmm. people are just saying things and we're trying to parse them like a criminologists back in the Soviet yep. era. And it's always, always very risky, but yes. I, I, I have to be very attuned to very subtle nuances in language and what they do and do not say. And fortunately that's, that's where I'm leaning at the moment. So you also hinted at, at one kind of per- perspective that some people have had, which is that you could have a situation where Kavanaugh and Barrett are offended that Texas has legally found a way, not a loophole, but just through law and the crafting of law, creatively found a way to restrict abortion uh, in a way that makes it harder for the court to kind of come in and, and directly intervene. But the optimist would say, perhaps Kavanaugh and Barrett have an intention through Mississippi and have a path that they'd already intend to create for the ending of innocent life before viability outside of the womb to be protected. And that they have a plan to craft some type of opinion in the Dobbs case that basically gives states 
a pathway by which they think it would be prudential to protect life. But Texas coming up with this creative way that also challenges their authority should be stopped in its tracks. That would be, in my opinion, a maybe more optimistic view if they do end up siding on the side of the left is that, oh, don't worry, there's still the hope that they give us another path by which we don't have to kill innocent children uh, before the 20-week viability kind of cutoff. It's possible, but I want to keep one very important thing in mind. For Barrett and Kavanaugh to rule against Texas here would require them to do the exact thing we don't want judges to do, which is distort the law. Yep. Right? I don't want judges who make deals. Okay, I'll rule for Texas. I'm sorry, I'll rule for Mississippi here. Rule against yep. Texas there. You know, this is the sort of judicial creativity that got us John yes. Roberts. I don't yes. want judges to pick and choose. Okay, you win this one, and I'll give you this one, and all even out, right? That, that's a bottomless pit. You don't get out of that pit. If, if the law does not permit lawsuits against judges, then you dismiss the case, right? If you can't sue clerks of court, my goodness, the, these, are, these are ministerial employees who stamp paper. Mm. If, you, if you let a lawsuit go against them, then, then you're doing the wrong thing. So I, I see only bad. If the court allows the suit, I mean, this your listeners may not like this, but to uphold Roe v. Wade at this point is like, okay, whatever, right? No, it's been 50 years. It's precedent. Fine. I get it. We stand by precedent. But to distort the law to permit a lawsuit mm. against clerks of court would be insane. There's no license for that. So I think uh, it, it was. It, 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 it's really, it's really, you have to bend over backwards and do a somersault in the air to get to this ruling. One of the things I appreciate about the heartbeat bill is that it is putting the Supreme Court in a place where they have to bend over backwards. I think it was uh, Jenna Ellis and Josh Hammer during their conversation that said, if this was any other issue, the exact same question before the court, but if it was on any other issue than abortion, it would probably be a 9-0 ruling, a very easy open and shut case. But because it's about this issue, you see these middle-of-the-road justices in Barrett and Kavanaugh looking like they are preparing themselves to, to bend over backwards um, to protect, protect abortion and to stop Texas in its tracks. I know, Josh, because um, I only have you for a couple more minutes, but I know that you have also had some commentary that just on where this kind of leaves the conservative legal movement, um, a movement that has been working for decades to, you know, shape the judiciary in a way um, that would be more reflective of kind of timeless truths that we believe are important to kind of hold society together. And you can't have a better court than you have today. I mean, I don't know. I don't know that you could mean when I say that, I don't mean that there couldn't be better people on the Supreme Court in place of Kavanaugh or Barrett. But I just mean that if you look at how hard it was to get where we're at, it's hard to see a situation where any time in the near future, we have a better Supreme Court that has the potential to um, preserve and protect, you know, right and truth. And so where will that leave us? Just leave our listeners with a little bit of your thoughts on where will conservatives from the judicial perspective and a, and a legal court perspective and the legal community as a whole, what kind of questions will they battle with? I know Bostock kind of caused us to ask some of these questions, um, but where will we be after this ruling? Uh, will that, do you think more people will wake up to the problems we have? And then what are some of the solutions that people should be considering? Look, I, I've been a member of the conservative legal movement for you know almost 
15 years since I went to law school. I've been a card carrying member. And this movement's put a lot of work into nominating judges. Yet it seems no matter how hard they try, no matter how many breaks they catch with vacancies, no matter how many times politics works in their favor with the Scalia seat, with the Barrett seat, okay. they keep coming up short. Um, if this court simply reaffirms Roe v. Wade and says, Texas, stop it, I think we're going to have a bit of an identity crisis mm. and there'll be a, an awakening, perhaps a reckoning, if you want to be a little more, more stern of what happens next. I don't think the status quo stays the same. I don't know what the next move is, mm. but I think people committing themselves to a movement that simply keeps the Warren court and the Burger court alive uh, can put their efforts in a, in a different direction. And, and it pains me because it's a movement I care very deeply about, but mm. You know, we, we can't ask people to be, you know, saints that just keep giving and hoping and saying, oh, next time if we get seven seats, we had eight seats in the Supreme Court, we'll win. You know, you have nine justices, maybe they'll rule a row. Uh, I, I used to think six would be enough. I guess maybe seven's the number, maybe it's eight. Hmm. Uh, but I'm not, I, I worry for our movement. Well, Josh, thank you for coming on. Thank you for making the time. I know you had to kind of work throughout your schedule. I think this is an important, uh, this is some important information that we want to bring our listeners now and our viewers just so they can understand what's going on and the questions before the court. And these questions were caused by Texas. Um, and uh, we're grateful that legislators forced the issue. They, they didn't start the session out with support uh, of the governor or many other people, even on this bill, but they were willing to push forward and force the issue which I think has placed um, Texas in a unique position. Josh, I'm grateful for you coming on and explaining um, how the arguments went in the Supreme Court. And hopefully we'll be seeing a ruling at some point before the end of the year. All right. Thank you so much. So good to be here. Thank you for listening to The Luke Messias Show. This program is brought to you by Scorecard Media. Check out texasscorecard.com to read up on all things Texas. Scorecard Media has other podcasts as well. Yeah, they're not as good as this one, but you should still check them out. Honestly, though, visit texasscorecard.com to see all the content they're producing on a daily basis. If you'd like our podcast to grow, please consider subscribing to the show on whatever platform you listen on and leave a review. That helps others find the content we're producing. Thank you. God bless you and God bless Texas. Texas.